Deep in the Defense Department, a group is partnering with industry to create a window into the cyber vulnerabilities of the defense industrial base. It's called the Defense Industrial Base Collaborative Information Sharing Environment, or DICE. It's part of the Defense Cyber Crime Center. Division Chief Mike Weisskopf talked about it with Tom Temin. So DICE is the action arm to the DIBCS program. And so the PMO office at DOD CIO, they handle all the policy stuff, and then we actually conduct the action for the the defense industrial base. And to do that, we do a bunch of different things from developing cyber threat information all the way up to trying out different pilots and programs to see how well they work with the DIB partnership. Got it. And does this have any relation at all to the CMMC program, the uh, Cybersecurity Model Maturity Certification Program? program or those are kind of parallel? So those are kind of two different efforts. Although we have a lot of dip companies that come to us asking for help with CMMC and how they can kind of achieve those goals, in which case we do have one service that we offer, what we call the CRA, the Cyber Resilience Analysis, that can help companies kind of figure out where their cyber resilience is at, and that'll help them when CMMC goes live for them. All right, but getting back to this larger idea of getting kind of a DOD-wide picture of the defense industrial base, what is your strategy for getting that? So we, we have a bunch of different services out there that we're trying to leverage for them, one of them being Crystal Ball that allows us to get us that, that picture on the defense industrial base. So Crystal Ball, the idea is, is we take open source information, information that anybody can acquire to include the adversary and be able to pull that in and look at it and report back to the DIB partners to let them know where they may have vulnerabilities. So this is open source information that is out there on the Internet about threats that are going on, that kind of thing? Correct. Yep. It lays out the infrastructure of uh, the DIB companies, and then it looks at it and it identifies different vulnerabilities that are there. And then once we identify that for our partnership, we report back to them, uh, letting them know about the vulnerabilities. But do you have a window into what their own network holes might be that they are susceptible to the things you discover out there in the wild? Only the stuff that's publicly accessible. So within normal infrastructure, you're going to have kind of internal network, an intranet that they run. We don't have visibility on that. We only have stuff on the internet that that is connected to the public internet. So we're able to access that data of the stuff that's facing out towards the open internet that anybody can query. Got it. It is possible then for an individual company to know what it is they should be on the alert for and take whatever steps might be necessary? Correct, if they have the resources to do that. That's one of the things that we've been discovering with the small and medium-sized companies is that they may not have the resources to kind of do that research. It's man-hours intensive, and so it takes a lot of people a lot of time to try to make those discoveries and find that information. The Crystal Ball platform is supposed to do it in an automated fashion and report that back to us so that we can then report that to them to the DIP partners. So there's some automation into this in terms of what is generated by the crystal ball and you get alerts or notices of, hey, we better look into this particular threat? Correct. Yep. There's kind of two ways a platform works. The first one is is that it provides a threat score on certain companies. Then we're able to, upon request, if they ask for an assessment, we can kind of take a look at that threat score and kind of let them know where the threats are for their company. But then there's also an active approach where you can actually query it to say, okay, give me everything you know about company X. And then we can take that information that it has within that query and provide that back to them. For instance, when Hafnium happened, we pulled against the system, so it was more of an active search, looking to say, okay, how many of the DIB partnerships have the Hafnium vulnerability on their network? And the system came back and said, okay, here's all the DIB partners that, that we're tracking that have Hafnium vulnerabilities on their exchange servers on their network. And then we quickly turned around and put out tippers out to those companies, letting them know that that Hafnium vulnerability was there. 
Got it. So there is, in other words, a way of accessing their vulnerabilities in a public way that's not invading their network or hacking them in any way. Correct. This is separate from uh, other programs that they're more of an active approach against the network. Everything we do is more passive. There's no action against their network to collect this information. And in reality, anybody on the open internet has access to this information. An adversary could end up looking up this information as well from where the Crystal Ball platform gets it from and able to find the same information we're able to find. We're speaking with Mike Weisskopf. He's Division Chief of Expanded Offerings and Projects for the Defense Industrial Base Collaborative Information Sharing environment. And when you deal with the smaller companies, clearly, you know, you would expect Lockheed and General Dynamics to understand their networks, and they probably have giant network operations centers of their own and security operations centers. But many of the DIB companies are small, medium-sized. Some of them are very small. What do you find is the common obstacle for smaller companies to be able to manage themselves in a secure way? So a lot of it has to do, with, again, with that resourcing, having the manpower available to hit all the aspects of cybersecurity. Some of them are able to overcome that, and that's by signing up with an MSSP or managed security service provider, and then they're able to kind of have them manage their cybersecurity for them. Other ways that they achieve it is pushing a lot of stuff out into the cloud environment and then allowing the cloud service provider kind of manage the security for that cloud environment. However, not a lot of these are foolproof solutions, and there's still gaps within that security, within that cyber resilience. And we try to figure out what those gaps are through our CRAs or cyber resilience analysis, try to figure out where those gaps are, and then help those smaller companies fill in those gaps. And that's where things like Crystal Ball comes in. Got it. So it sounds like you're saying that any company starting up or any company deciding to, you know, upgrade their information technology would kind of be crazy to try to install and operate all of their own software, that really they should use software as a service and a good branded cloud. And that takes away, it sounds like, a whole lot of the cyber threat responsibility that they would have otherwise, just going through an ISP on their own and hoping for the best. So when, when you talk about risk, there are different ways to kind of to handle risk. And that's, that's really where your question is directed toward. And when you go with an MSSP or you go with a cloud service provider, what you're really doing is you're transferring that risk. You're not eliminating it completely. And then depending on how your contract is with the MSSP or the cloud service provider, even though you transferred a lot of your infrastructure over to them, or at least the management of it to them, you don't always transfer all the risk. And so you have to make sure that within your contract uh, with those companies, the MSSP and the cloud service providers, that you meet you know, your intent. If your intent is to transfer that risk, that you make sure that that's in that contract with that cloud service provider and an MSSP. If it's not in there, then even if they are managing and handling the security, the cybersecurity for your company, if it's not in the contract that that risk is being transferred, then they still can't help out if a situation should happen. And do you have any good save stories from companies operating with you in the crystal ball and averted disaster? Well, I already mentioned one, which is Hafnium. Hafnium, uh, yep. We were able to get out tippers. Yep. So that was a Microsoft Exchange server vulnerability. As soon as we knew about it, we were able to query Crystal Ball to figure out what companies had that and then reach back out to them, let them know, hey, you have this vulnerability. Pretty much all the DIB companies came back to us and said, yep, we've identified it and they are working on a plan to mitigate it, whether it was putting out a patch right away or using their change, mitigating it a different way until they get their change management process to apply the patch. And in the meantime, back up everything and then un- plug that drive. 
Correct. Yes. And again, that's up to the CEO of that company to make the determination of how much risk they have the appetite for. So if they absolutely positively need that exchange server, they can keep it running with other mitigations in place to block uh, any kind of connectivity to it that they need to block, but still have it operate as a mail server. Or if they don't need that mail server, they can just completely shut it down. And that actually happened with one of the companies where they discovered that the, this mail server was there that they didn't realize had been there. And they're like, okay, we need to tear down that mail server because we're not using it for anything right now. So there are times when we've kind of identified stuff to the dip companies, letting them know that it's out there and they didn't realize it. Mike Weisskopf is Division Chief of Expanded Offerings and Projects for the Defense Industrial Base Collaborative Information Sharing Environment. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but 
uh, the quality that that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. 
and thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.